we had a we had a little series um, for our renewal membership thing that we called Exvangelicals, dealing with some of the toxic aspects of religion that many of us have encountered. It's actually part of the American culture because of the impact of evangelicalism. And I think the last sermon I gave was on some of the abuses of, of scripture and the doctrine of inerrancy and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm glad that series is over because like, whoo, I like, I like looking forward. And like the positive things. And so for this next, uh, between now and Advent, Emily and I are just picking out like favorite texts from scripture that have like been healing for us or powerful for us or been a you know, mediating force in our connection with the divine. So I'm going to do that for all saints. We're surrounded by loved ones just beyond our four dimensions is my topic. So my mother died in 1984. And Blanche Wilson was her name. There's a picture up here of her um, with my dad. And um, uh, Blanche, my mom, came to my wife Nancy many years later while Nancy was taking a nap. And Blanche gave Nancy some really good advice on dealing with one of our daughters that was counterintuitive to Nancy, if you knew Nancy, Um, and it was quite liberating for her. She went to her nap pretty grumpy, and she woke up, and she was like glowing and just like had a whole different demeanor. I was like, what was that nap about? And she said, your mother gave me some great advice. A few years later, so this would be, I don't know, in the 2000s, I was startled awake by my mother's voice. Middle of the night, Ken! It felt like I heard it through my ears. I looked at the digital clock next to my bed. It was like 3.13 in the morning. Um, Now, my mother Blanche had died of breast cancer, again, several years earlier. And somehow I knew, I knew it was her voice, and I knew to pray for Pat Miller's sister. Pat Miller was part of our church at that time, who and her sister was dying of breast cancer. And then later that day, in the, in the morning when I woke up, I found an email from Pat saying that her sister had, in fact, died and around 3 a.m. So, okay. My Gammy Myers. Gammy is what we called my um, grandmother. She was from, came you know, over from England. Um, she died in my bed because we, we cared for both my grandmothers in our home in Detroit. And I got kicked out of the bed. And bedroom and and the hospice thing happened in my bed so that was always interesting after they died kind of curling up pretending to be a dead person what's that like checking under the under the bed checking in the closet all sorts of things like that Um, but my Gammy Myers it turns out um, her last words were to my father at bedside and she said look Glenn the angels and she was pointing to my closet it was kind of difficult for me to think of that closet in the same way after that. Emily, after she was ejected from her um, evangelical denomination, she's try- this would be like 2015, she's trying to come to grips with her responsibility to like reform evangelicalism. And Emily has this dream in which Phyllis Tickle, who was quite a friend to Blue Ocean, our friend, Phyllis was like, 
her position, and she was like the leading secular observer of the religious landscape. She would lecture about this and all this sort of thing. Um, and she, she loved what we were doing, and she died, I think, the same month that we started. I think it was in January of 2015. So Phyllis comes to Emily, and Emily, in her dream, is kind of looking at, like, evangelicalism, and Phyllis just gently takes Emily's hand, or cheek in her hand, turns her head, and says, those are not your people. It's a very significant, actually, dream for our church that, get, that answered a very important question we had. So, Scripture gives language to the, these are just like common human experiences of people who have gone before us. And, and Scripture speaks about this. And the text that I, I really like in this is from the letter to the Hebrews. Author is unknown. Chapter 12, the first two verses, I'll read it in this more literal translation, was also the reading we had this morning. Therefore also... Having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, having with such ease put off every encumbrance and the sin besetting us, I think you can make a strong case that the sin besetting humanity in the letter to the Hebrews is the skin of scapegoating, having with such ease put off every encumbrance and the sin besetting us, let us run the race set before us, Looking ahead to Jesus, the leader and finisher of faithfulness, who preferring the joy that lay before him, Jesus preferred joy <laughs> to suffering, endured a cross, disdaining its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So th this is just typical. Scripture signifies the space of intersection between what we would say is this realm and whatever realm lies beyond this realm, that is signified with the metaphor, the image, or the picture of a cloud. So it's, it's interesting that in, in physics, newer physics, like 150 years old newer physics, the same metaphor, the cloud, is used. So, we, you know, when I, growing up in Detroit in science class, you'd learn about the electron, the electron, you know, the atom, the electron orbits around the nucleus of the, of the atom, like planets around the sun. They even had models like this, where this thing is spinning around. And then, of course, they discovered that um, electrons actually don't work like that. Electrons are just weird and uh, subatomic um, particles in general. They function like waves, which means like they're evenly spread out, out over a large space, and they function as particles, like a condensed point. But that, and they do that at the same time. And it depends on the observer. So it's like something we literally can't imagine when you read science texts about this. The, the good scientists will always say, now I've explained it, don't think you understand it. I don't even understand it. The math is what understands it. We can't imagine it. So now it's described the electron as a cloud, like a probability cloud. Clouds are just great at representing something between the tangible and the intangible, between the defined and the undefined, and this is what we have at the intersection of this realm and whatever this realm is nestled within. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, same metaphor, the cloud. Luke says regarding Jesus, who's appearing to his disciples, uh, kind of like for the last time, risen Jesus appearing after his death and resurrection, says, as they were watching, he was taken up and a cloud took him from their eyes. Well, what else but a cloud? 
we would say that uh, Jesus was transitioning from our four dimensions of space-time to a dimension beyond that, and that intersection is signified by a cloud. One of the very few events in the life of Jesus that is referenced in the epistles or the letters, actually not many of the events of Jesus are, of his life are mentioned in the letters. The Gospels kind of did that. Um, and the people writing the letters actually often didn't know Jesus in, in the flesh, so to speak. So they just had shreds of stories. But one of the few events that's also in the letters happened on Mount Tabor. Three disciples of Jesus were taken up the mountain with him. Sleep overtook them, as happens in like when a mystical thing's going to happen. The disciples get kind of sleepy, like sometimes a baby comes into church and there's a lot of worship going on and it's singing and there's just so much data streaming into that baby's brain. They just zonk out. This is the disciples happen this when there's too much like spiritual activity. So they zonk out and they awake to a vision of Jesus conversing with a light and a Mo Moses, who were not contemporaries to Jesus, you understand, and they're speaking about his impending departure, his death. L Luke describes this scene thus, he says, and as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and as they entered the cloud, they were afraid, and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one, listen to him. Cloud, again, super important and emphasized. Um, now, in the first uh, several books of the Hebrew Bible, what Christians often call the Old Testament, although our New Testament is pretty old now too, so maybe we should just drop that. Uh, <laughs> dead basically means dead. So like the early tradition in, in the Hebrew, among the Hebrew people, dead means dead. Dead is God's way of, death is God's way of telling you your life is over. Is basically the message, and and the dead were understood. What they we lower them into a hole in the ground, and then they dwell in this underworld realm called Sheol as kind of shadows or shades, a kind of not really existing existence. The one exception to this in the early writings of Israel is uh, Enoch in the book of uh, Genesis, who it says walked with God and was taken whatever that means, nothing else, no further details on any of that until 2 Kings chapter 2. And wouldn't you know, it's the story of Elijah who was talking to Jesus with Moses. It's Elijah and his apprentice Elisha. So the main dude has a J in the middle of his name, the apprentice has an S, Elijah and his apprentice Elisha. Elijah is sensing that it's time for his departure, time for him to leave. Um, Elisha says, wait, uh, don't go. <laughs> you know? but, but if you do, I want a double portion of your spirit. Like, I want your inheritance. Elijah says, we'll see. A little bit later, like chariots of fire, as they are described, separate Elijah from Elisha. And it says, Elijah went up in a whirlwind. A whirlwind would be like a funnel cloud, after which Elisha, Elisha with the S in the middle, is in fact infused with the spirit of Elijah. In the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, very long chapter, we hear that John, John the Baptist, born to Elizabeth and Zacharias, will go forth in God's presence and in the spirit of Elijah. 
So as Elisha was infused with the spirit of Elijah, the same thing is going to happen to John, is what we're reading in Luke 1. So what are we supposed to make of all this? Well, that there's possibly like way more interaction between this realm and whatever this realm is embedded in beyond what meets the eye than you can measure with the instruments of science or that we can necessarily see with our senses. There's a lot more going on interactively than than we think of, especially in our society. Like we're surrounded by loved ones who have gone before us. This is the picture. Like we're just, we're just always, we're surrounded with loved ones who have died, who have gone before us. Now there's a lot in certain aspects of American culture that really tries to like, that's just nervous about this, anxious, afraid, worried, tries to shush anything like this. Um, first of all, you have like some pretty toxic, I would say inhumane approaches to mourning, to grieving. Um, uh, Julia has a friend, an older Episcopal guy, colonel in the Air Force, Pete Bewley. Everyone loved Pete Bewley. I knew him. I loved that guy. And um, he died. And we're up north at Julia's cottage, where Pete Bewley had a cottage also. And we're talking to a neighbor who knew Pete. And uh, when's the funeral? What's going, you know, what's going on with all that? And Julia says, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, so, I'm, I'm, just, I'm so gonna miss Pete. And, and this neighbor of Pete says, well, well, that's done. As if, you know, like the healthy response is get over it, move forward. Pete lived, he died, he's gone, we're alive. End of story. You know, well, what if Pete Bewley isn't gone? What if the essence of Pete Bewley is somehow nearby in what Scripture calls the cloud of witnesses cheering us on? Here and now. I think of like I used to run track and you'd run in a circle. And my split times are always a miler. Split times are always faster in front of the crowd that stands. It was pretty amazing. Everyone would slow down, down the backstretch, and then you'd speed up in front of the fans, especially if your girlfriend was in the stands. (laughs) So Julia's husband, Richard, uh, died in April 2011, Oceana's dad, Richard Bailey. And he, uh, he died while Julia was studying to become a priest in the Episcopal Church. She was a um, choir director here for 24 years. Then she left and, and studied to be a priest, and she was going to a seminary in Detroit. So he dies in June, in April. Um, and then in June, the same year, she's ordained to be a priest. And she's assigned to her first parish, which is in St. Michael's and All Angels, an older uh, exurb of, of Detroit in Lincoln Park. And all during this time when, um, when uh, Richard was convalescing and whatnot, um, she was taking seminary classes in Detroit. So she's driving from Detroit home, and she would be thinking about what she wanted to tell Richard about when she got home, about her classes, or what she was doing that day. So in June, after he died in April, she's driving back from Lincoln Park um, at her first, like, you know, priestly position at uh, St. Michael's and All Angels, and she's imagining all the things that happened that day that she wants to tell Richard when she gets home, and then she realized, oh, he died. He's not home. But then instinctively, 
she's like, well, no need to wait till he gets home. And she just starts talking to him and telling how her day went as she's driving the rest of the way home. Now, some people would call that like morbid or you shouldn't be doing that a year later. You should definitely not be doing that if you marry some other guy, you know. Actually, we talk to our departed spouses all the time. Uh, Julie and I, I think of it as like serial bigamy. Um, but it's just, <laughs> it's all, it's just different. I'm, I, I guess I'm poly, you could say, in a, in a way. Um, the, I did not put that in, note, in the notes, to my credit. Uh, but it's, it's actually good for us. So Dr. Allison Forti, a professor of counseling at Wake Forest University, said speaking out loud to a loved one who has passed is helpful for many people processing grief. Where did I get that source? No less authority than Teen Vogue magazine. Yes, so you can put that one in the bank. It's okay to talk to your departed loved ones. So a little more personal here. Um, my wife died at a very opportune, inopportune time for me, and, and suddenly, unexpectedly, no forewarning. And so it was a number of years later, I'm in therapy, and I'm realizing I have some unresolved issues related to my departed wife, Nancy. And I'm like, what do I do with this? Like, stuff I need to kind of work out. And then it dawns on me, duh, why don't I talk it over with Nancy? Why don't I go to the source? So over a couple of weeks' time, I think it was about two or three weeks, before dinner I had this little praying routine, I would do my headspace, and then I'd do my divine hours, and so I added a glass of wine to my routine, and I started talking to Nancy. And I lit a candle, and you know, I got all the mood stuff working for me. And I start talking to Nancy, just things that I'm, are on my mind. Um, she didn't talk back, like in words, but it was like we were communicating with feelings. So it was like I felt certain feelings that I sensed were my feelings, and then I could kind of sense feelings that I attributed to her. And she was sorry to have missed all the drama, couldn't have my back. She was very proud of us, happy what we were doing as a church and kids and that sort of thing. And, and some more private things. Why did it take me six years to say, I will go talk to Nancy about these unresolved things? Well, I blame the influence of European Protestant Christianity. Um, in reaction to Roman Catholicism back in the 1600s. European Protestant Christianity poo-pooed communicating with the dead. And that, that was like superstitious, a.k.a. Catholic. Um, and I just, I just absorbed this tacitly because my earliest forms of Christianity were European, you know, derived from Europe, Protestant Christianity. A lot of faith organized around this European, like, uh, you know, religious war during the Reformation is really uptight about ancestors and communicating with ancestors. And if you, you know, in religious settings, like, you start talking about the ancestors, especially communicating, it's like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, this is dangerous, this is, this might be cultic, whatever. Um, it's very interesting that 
Christian faith that is organized around African cultures of various kinds is completely at ease with this, completely at ease. Of course we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Um, some people who are alive may be, even find themselves infused or animated by the spirit of someone who's gone before us. Of course, that's just like nor, any, anyone knows that. Let me just add a little extra texture to my story about Nancy and working things, things out with my conversations with her some months ago. There's another picture later in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is where I use that early verse of the cloud of witnesses. Later on, there's a description by the author of Hebrews about what's going on behind the scenes when um, the Jesus community gathers to worship. And that picture is filled with images. It goes like this. You have come to Mount Zion and the city of a living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to a full gathering, an assembly of the firstborn, Jesus was the firstborn, enrolled in the heavens, and to God, the judge of all, and to spirits of the righteous who have been perfected. That's a lot going on in that scene. So when we gather to worship, there's a lot going on that doesn't meet the eyes. We're approaching God, and our loved ones who, are, who have died are held in, the, in God's heart. So, of course, we're approaching them as well. I noticed this after Nancy died, and I've noticed other um, bereaved uh, members of the church who've lost someone. Actually, coming to church can be a little bit extra difficult because it's very poignant. You, you feel the loss more intensely in church, and I think part of it is we're actually approaching, as we're approaching God, we're approaching our loved ones in God's heart, and we, we sense the big transition and the loss that, that that transition has meant to us. Notice that phrase, and this was the one that really popped into my brain when I was working this stuff out. We have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, who have been perfected. So the idea here is that those who die pass into God's direct presence where they are transformed and they're completed and they're healed and they're renewed and like they get the best possible therapy. They work their 12-step program. They, they do the fourth step. They have the weekend. I mean, all that stuff gets worked out in God's presence. So I realized, oh, I can talk to my departed wife and bring up some difficult things that when she was alive, might have been like too sensitive. You know, married couples, there's always some issue or other or two or three issues that you just can't bring up because it's way too sensitive for one or for both or for the combination. And you just learn to dance around those issues if you're married 40 years, for example. So I had some things that were related to one or two of those issues and I realized she's in such, she's just like in a completely perfected, like healthy position, I can even bring up these difficult to me things that I know in an earlier time would have been really difficult for Nancy to hear and I don't have to dance around eggshells and I can just work it out and that's what was happening in that two or three week period. You know, in, in biology class, we learned about the semi-permeable membranes 
I'm wrapping it up here. <laughs> Semi-permeable membranes of the cell, the outer lining of the cell is a semi-permeable membrane. So that means that some things can come in, but not everything. Some things inside the cell can go out, but not everything. It's a semi-permeable membrane. The exchange is there, but it's limited. So it's like there's a semi-permeable membrane between this realm and whatever else this realm is nestled into, the, the realm beyond. And there's more back and forth than we realize. And it's, it's not a weird or scary, like in our culture, that's like Halloween horror movie stuff. No, 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 no. It's not weird, it's not scary, it's a good thing it's all bathed, it's all soaked, it's all pickled, it's all immersed in love. So what's, what's to worry about? So let's have our little quiet reflection. You may notice that we uh, placed on your chair a three by five card. And I think there's some um, pens around there also. So if you'd like to grab that three by five card, and I'm guessing that while I was talking about this, you were probably thinking about maybe a person or two or three in your life that has died and that came to your mind. I just suggest that you write as many names down on that um, card as you'd like to. We'll um, bring the cards up and place them in the basket during communion. And then Cassie is going to read the names. She's not going to read all the names. So circle one or underline one that you want Cassie to read as we, as we begin a song for worship. So you got that? So jot down a few names on your card and circle one that you'd like read aloud as we worship a little bit later. I'll give you a little time to do that. Pets are also warmly welcomed. I brought Duchess up front here on the left corner in the front if you want to see Duchess. And we'll have a little more time for you to finish that if you like. I'll just read the that powerful picture of what is going on when we're doing what we're doing now from a spiritual perspective. Let me just read this. I'll read this maybe twice to let it soak in. And let's approach the rest of our worship service with this intention, this kind of unveiling understanding of what we're doing at a, at a deeper spiritual level. You have come to Mount Zion and the city of a living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to a full gathering, an assembly of the firstborn, enrolled in the heavens, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous who have been perfected. Amen. Amen. I believe.